a moment of power. It's time for a Moment of Power podcast with Pastor Johnny Henderson, being brought to you by the Little Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Matthew chapter 26, verse uh, 69 through 75. Verse 69 through 75. The words were on the screen. I want to I want to deal with this text this morning. The text is about failure. It's about failure. I want to deal with that for just a few minutes this morning by way of Peter. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people that this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Put emphasis on that. Verse 73, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Here's the part right here. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I want to speak for just a few minutes on this thought. This is not the end. This is not the end. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I need you to be real honest with me today. Honesty is, honesty is the best policy. You can agree, right? Have you ever failed at anything? Yes. Somebody said it still is. If, if you haven't ever failed at anything, do you know someone that has failed at something? But then the next question is, how did you respond to failure? How did you respond? The response makes the difference. I was reading an article about the uh, an American Olympic skater named Mariah Gusu. She failed to measure a medal in the 2018 Olympic Games. She failed to medal. She goes on to quickly place blame elsewhere. I thought about that, and it came to my mind that sometimes people use failure as a defense mechanism. In an article, article entitled, Nothing to Prove, woman by the name of Christian Rude, who wrote the article, she points out that many people like Nagasu live with the fear that they will never perform well enough to be successful at their pursuit or be accepted. So instead of accepting failure, we tend to protect ourselves by being defensive. Nagasu, the skater, she blamed her poor performance on several factors to include her rigorous schedule, the, uh, the crowded conditions in the Olympic, Olympic athletes housing, and the lack of hot showers. She goes on Twitter, she blamed her, her failed triple axle skate attempt uh, in a rut in the ice or a crack in the ice 
And she speculated that she might have competed better had she been able to sleep in her own bed for those weeks leading up to the competition. There was no owning her mistakes. There was no expressing disappointment or remorse in her performance. No, uh, no, she didn't care about the joy of being able to participate. Instead, she blamed it on everything else. The writer Christy Rude seems to suggest that many people don't live up to their potential because they fear failure and the collateral damage that comes with it. This lady goes on to write in her article that, uh, which is mostly about millennials, that many people fear failure because of self-esteem. That it would destroy our or their self-esteem. She goes on to write that the second great fear of millennials, and I would argue that's, it, we deal with it as well, the fear is that they won't be accepted because of failure. She goes on to say, uh, if, if, if we don't perform to a certain standard, then people will criticize us. And then we take criticism as a form of rejection. Society has created these conditions, y'all, particularly through social media, that exacerbates our fear of rejection. Then we have conditioned uh, millennials and young people, and even some of us, we have been conditioned to believe that a critique of our performance is rejection. That we have been, uh, we, we reject, people reject us because we don't meet the standards or their expectations. She goes on to say that it removes trust in humanity, particularly in our families, and it causes us to have a shallow belief in God. It damages our trust in God. She goes on to write, instead, we should have compassion for people when they fail. Amen. We should not discard or discredit people when they fail. When they fail. Right. Jesus didn't discard us. He doesn't discard us. So why should we discard somebody else when they're not uh, living up to what they have been called to be? When they're not meeting their potential. Amen. I, I want to suggest it's not just younger people that deal with failure. Some of you have spoken up. You still deal with it. Uh, some of us are upwards of 40 years old and we still deal with failure. All of us deal with it. And the reason why is because we're not perfect people. We're not perfect people. We are imperfect people just trying to get things right. We, we're trying to live a life that pleases God. Most of us are just trying to provide for our families, trying to accomplish our goals, etc. That's that's what we're trying to do. We're not perfect. We make mistakes, and sometimes we fall. Amen. Sometimes we fail, and and, and wrapped up inside the the twists and turns of our lives are mistakes, failures, and setbacks. Wrapped up inside the twists and turns of life are slips, trips, and falls. Amen. Sometimes we recover quickly. Sometimes it takes a while. For the sake of argument this morning, I want to say uh, failure is simply designed or defined rather as a lack of success or an inability to meet an expectation. In other words, none of us plan to fail. None of us plan to fail. Anything we set our hearts and minds to do, we want to have success in it. And we don't want to be labeled as a failure. I want to tell you this morning, don't let society place labels on you. Focus on God. Focus on what God says about you. Amen. But I want to flip the script.
trip and say failure can also be useful. Failure it is bad, but it can be turned around for good. Amen. Uh, Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, what you meant for bad, God turned it around for good. Failure can be useful because number one, we can learn lessons from it. Number two, we can gain new insights from it. But then number three, we can do better the next time. Amen. Failure, we can gain new information from failure. We can learn some lessons that teach us how to get closer to our goals. I don't know what goals you have this morning, but uh, maybe you ought to take some insight from where you fall, fell short at. Amen. There's an old say, uh, old motto that says, uh, if you aren't failing, you aren't taking big enough risks. Uh, some people say, if, if you're not trying hard enough, you're trying to take the easy way out. That you aren't stretching yourself. That you aren't growing. Perhaps you heard the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. Amen. That saying has been around a long time. Maybe, maybe you've heard it in some of your favorite songs. We heard it yesterday coming down the road from Maryland. A Leah song, dust yourself off and try again. You may have heard it from, from your grandparents. You may have heard it from your parents. You may have read it in some of your favorite books. But don't give up. Keep going. Amen. As we look at as we look at our text today, Peter, he gives us a lesson on failure and restoration. If you think about Peter, Peter was Jesus' dude. By every indication, Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. Amen. If I can use some modern-day language, he was the ace boom coon in the circle. Amen. Peter was he was the ride or die for Jesus. He was the brother from another mother. Amen. Every, every adjective or acronym you can think of to describe Peter's relationship toward Jesus, it applies. Peter had been with Jesus from the very beginning. Matter of fact, Matthew 3, he was the first disciple mentioned in the text in Matthew 3. It says he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. In other words, Peter was a real one. Uh, the kids now say he is him. That's Peter. Peter was him. He was a faithful follower of Jesus because he had experienced a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ from the very beginning. Amen. But not only that, he knew who Jesus was. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was everything he claimed to be. When Jesus asked the disciples who the people say the Son of Man is, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Peter rises up at this very moment to Jesus' follow-up question and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter knew who Jesus was, y'all. He knew, he knew Jesus was everything he claimed to be. Jesus goes on to tell Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What I'm trying to say this morning is Peter was faithful and loyal to Jesus. And at the height of Jesus' time on earth, Peter, he, he doubled down on his loyalty to Jesus. After the last supper, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him three times. Jesus told the disciples that they would all fall away because of him. And after a brief exchange, Peter rejected Jesus' words. Peter says, even if I follow, even if all fall away, rather, on account of you, Peter says, I never will. 
He doubled down on his loyalty to Jesus. Jesus goes on to answer him, Truly I tell you this, very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter comes back again, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter, Peter, he's a real one at this point. But Peter goes on to fail. What Jesus was trying to tell Peter and these disciples about falling away is that when the rubber meets the road, they would have a lapse in character or a lapse in judgment. When the going gets tough, they wouldn't be there when Jesus needed them the most. Jesus is trying to convey that when he would need them right before his trial, they would abandon him. They wouldn't cease being his disciples or they would no longer, they wouldn't stop trusting him. They would simply be overwhelmed by the weight of the matter. Overwhelmed by what was about to happen to Jesus. This is right on the brink of Jesus being sold out by Judas and handed over for 30 pieces of silver. Judas goes on to do something strange for some change. Jesus would, would go on to face trial and crucifixion. But still, Peter, he rejected Jesus' words. We see Peter, he, he pledges his allegiance to Jesus many times. He's quick to jump into action for Jesus. He even cut somebody's ear off with a sword. As Jesus was being arrested, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the, to the kingdom. But when it mattered the most, Peter was unwilling to follow Jesus to the cross. His failure was never more apparent than right here in the text when Jesus' prophecy comes to fruition. This passage happens right after Jesus is being questioned by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin Council. But we learn four things I want to give you about failure today. But not just failure, but also restoration. Because failure is not the end. But number one, I believe failure comes because of mishandled moments. Did you hear me? Mishandled moments. The first thing I see in the text is Peter mishandled the moment. And I say that because failure can happen as a result of mishandled moments or mishandled seasons. Let's be real. Sometimes the moment is just too much. Sometimes the moment is just too big. And if we'll be honest, we can't always meet the moment. We've often heard the moniker rise to the occasion. But sometimes the occasion is just too much. And it brings about a failure to meet the occasion. And that's okay. That's okay. We're not perfect. But we see this is what happens to Peter here. When, when Jesus needed him the moment, the most rather, the moment was too big for him to handle. After the arrest, Peter is seen following Jesus to judgment. But he is not by Jesus' side anymore. Text says in verse 69, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. This servant girl came up to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But Peter denied it before them all. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. You need to get up out of my face. If I can use my own vernacular. You, you need to go somewhere. You better get up out of my face, Peter told the girl. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he goes on to say he went out to the gateway he, where he met another girl, servant girl, and she confronted him the same way. This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He comes back in. I don't know what you're talking about, shorty. 
leader, y'all, he, he mishandles the moment. And I believe that's, that's oftentimes what, what contributes to our failure. The moment is too big. Peter, he, he failed by denying Jesus. Most of us, if we're honest, we can identify here. We've been in some situations. We've been in some seasons we just couldn't live up to. Nothing to be ashamed about. It was more than we could handle. But thank God his grace is sufficient. Here we find Peter, he's, he's sitting outside to see how the whole situation play, plays out. He's recognized by these two girls and he just tries to wiggle his way out of this moment. This servant girl, she's guarding the gate to the courtyard and she has seen Peter enter and he takes a seat on the outside of the courtyard and she got a little bit more light and she was able to recognize his face. Amen. But here's what I like about it. I want to say it's a good thing when people can recognize that you've been with Jesus. That's the good news in the text. At least they know he's been with Jesus. We ought, to, we ought to be glad that people can tell that we have been with Jesus. Amen. But the bad thing is he had been with Jesus, but he denies Jesus. He finds himself in a difficult position. He's in enemy territory, but he didn't want to be identified with Jesus. He gave the answer that Jesus had predicted, that Jesus had prophesied. He denied knowing about Jesus or knowing who Jesus was. He, he got himself in an awkward situation. He acted like he didn't know what the girl was talking about. He tried to weasel his way out of it. The temptation was too much to bear. The, the moment was too much for Peter. So he simply says, I don't know what you're talking about. Never heard of him, never seen him before. So he mishandled the moment. Think about your own life. What moments have contributed to your failure, if you have failure? And I want to suggest to you that, number one, failure can happen due to mishandled moments. But secondly, what I see in the text is overwhelming influence. Overwhelming influence. Did you know, you, you ought to know this, failure happens when we let the wrong influences push us in the wrong direction. I'm talking about influences by way of people, places, and things. Overwhelming influences. It says in verse 73, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Uh, then he began to call down curses and swore to them. I don't know the man. Then immediately the rooster crowed. Uh, influences. The crowd got on his case. I, I can tell by the way you talk. You're not from around here. You're from, you're from South Carolina. You're not from Chesapeake. You're from Williamsburg. You're not from your, your accent gives you. You don't dress like we dress. You don't talk like we talk. Peter was overwhelmed by the moment he began to curse. He began to swear that he, don't, he doesn't know Jesus. Then the rooster crows. Then Peter remembers those words. Imagine Peter for a minute. He's, he's lost his cool at this point. He, he begins to use all kind of filthy language. And some suggest he was calling down a curse from God to curse everybody else. But the point of the matter is he let the crowd get the best of him. He let the crowd push him in the way that he should not have gone. The crowd, they recognize his accent. Something different about Peter. 
He was a man from Galilee, but he wasn't a part of them. Maybe he hoped he, had, he could blend into the crowd. Instead, he was revealed by his speech that he did not belong there. This was too much for Peter, y'all. He couldn't leave him alone. They, couldn't, they wouldn't leave him alone. They kept trying to get under his skin and say, you've been with this man from, from Galilee, this man from Jesus. And Peter, when the pressure got real, when the, when the rubber hit the road, when it got really real, he, he cursed and said, I don't know this man. Here's the point. Sometimes people manipulate us into things that are not in our best interest. I call it overwhelming influences. Sometimes people will push us in the way that they want us to go and not the way that God has designed for us to go. If we're not careful, y'all, failure by influence can destroy our lives. Some of us have been there. I'm sure you have some days when you sit around and recall some moments where you wish you hadn't listened to this person or that person. I'm sure on the flip side of that coin, you wish you had listened to some people that may have had your best interests in mind. I'm sure you've had some days when you wish you hadn't gone here or hadn't gone there. I wish I, I know you've had some days where you wish you had made this decision or that decision. I, I know you've had some days when you have some regrets and you say to yourself, that was the worst decision of my life. Simply because I listened to the wrong person or I didn't listen to the right person or worse yet, I didn't listen to God. Yeah. Failure happens, y'all, when we allow some influences to lead us into moments of failure. Yeah. Peter's situation here, it, it has reached maximum intensity and he let the crowd influence him, influence him to deny Jesus for the third time. It started with the servant girls. He act like he didn't know Jesus. He denied being one of the apostles or disciples. And finally, he sealed the deal. I don't know what you're talking about. He mishandled the moment, and he was influenced into failing Jesus. But here's the third point, and I love this because it's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. Failure creates emotional trauma. Failure creates emotional trauma. Trauma. This is not a hooping and shouting kind of sermon, y'all. It's a little heavy right here because if we'll be honest, failure can be very damaging to us emotionally. And it is damaging because nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to have setbacks or disruptions. We want to accomplish everything we set our hearts out to. But failure happens. That's just a, that's just a course of life. It, it happens, but what it does, it brings about grief, it brings about regret, it brings about dejection, and even depression. It creates emotional trauma. This was a very rough night for Peter, y'all. He had failed, he had denied Jesus three times. The text says immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter recalled those words that Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Luke writes in Luke 23 that Jesus was looking at him while it happened. Imagine the moment Peter is dealing with. Imagine the emotional turmoil right here. Says he went out 
and wept bitterly. Not only because he realized that he had denied his Lord, but he had also turned his back on what could be considered a, a very dear friend. A person who had loved and taught him for three years. The person who he claimed he would never deny. The person he pledged his loyalty to. In spite of Jesus' very own prophecy. Imagine him for a minute. And how do we respond to that? When we fail, y'all, we often re react in one of two ways. We, we blame others. Or here it is, we internalize our shame. Peter's reaction suggests that he retreated full of shame. He had no one to comfort him. Jesus was gone. His friends had also abandoned the cause. So he internalized his guilt, his grief, and his shame. And that is trauma for all of us. We can't handle that. And I want to suggest to us this morning, y'all, some of us carry shame for years. Some of us never reach our full potential. We never live out our God-given purpose because we've become a prisoner of the shame of our failures. Do I have a witness in the house? And I want to tell you this morning, that's exactly what the enemy wants us. He wants us arrested by shame. The enemy wants us arrested by regret. The enemy wants us arrested by grief. Can I also suggest that this eternalized, internalized shame and this eternalized guilt is another way that the enemy steals, kills, and destroys. Amen. It's, a, it's, it's another avenue for the enemy to, to just get in and destroy our lives. When we keep hold of this shame and this guilt, he wants to rob us of our purpose. Here's Peter. It's the worst night of his life. He felt awful. He had hit rock bottom, y'all. His, his self-respect was at rock bottom. And I know I'm not by myself. I know I'm not the only one that has made some mistakes. I know I'm not the only one that has failed at some stuff. Maybe you're just like me. You carry shame. You've carried shame. Some of us still carry shame. Watch this. Some of us carry the shame and regret of broken or failed marriages. Some of us carry the shame and regret of broken or failed relationships. We carry the weight of divorce. Sometimes we become afraid to love and marry again. Am I talking to myself this morning? Some of us, watch this, some of us, some of us carry the shame and regret of failed careers. Some of us carry the shame and regret of bad financial decisions. Some of us carry the, the shame of mishandled friendships. Some of us carry the shame and regret of dysfunctional families. Some of us carry the shame and regret of maybe bad, bad parenting. The list goes on, y'all, but the truth of the matter is we carry the weight of failure by internalizing it. And if we'll be real, some people never recover from carrying the weight. It seems like the hurt will never go away. We carry this weight and it burdens us, y'all. It burdens us. And I was reading a study the other day. People who live with shame, they often avoid relationships. 
They isolate themselves. They block themselves off from other people. They, they resist community and fellowship. Uh, research shows that people that carry shame, they tend to hide and self-conceal what they're going through. They feel ashamed and they, they, they don't participate in community. They don't fellowship with other people. They, they avoid making themselves vulnerable and they never reveal their true selves with the world. People who live with shame are prone to suppressing their emotions. People who live with shame, they, they often feel worthless and depressed and anxious. People who deal with shame is, is often a contributing factor to depression, anxiety, and codependency on drugs and alcohol. Peter went away and, and, and wept bitterly, the text says. And shame, if we'll be honest, Shame and guilt and regret, regret is the very, the very reason we choose not to be healed. We want to stay in a place where we feel worthless and regret. And we never real, really live the true life that God has called us to live. We carry that regret and shame for, for years. Peter, he wept bitterly. Even Judas, Judas never recovered from betraying Jesus. He went on to hang himself. But the good news today, y'all, that's good news. It's not all bad, it's good news. I want to leave you with a word of encouragement. The good news is, failure is not final. Did you hear me today? If you didn't understand it before today, you can recover from failure. I know some of you say you still did it, deal with it, but you can recover because God restores. Amen. Yes, yes. Not only does God restore, he forgives, yes. he replenishes, yes. he replaces what was lost, and most importantly, his grace is sufficient. Amen. That's the good news to get. Failure is not final. It's not the last word. Amen. It's not over. Don't give up yet. The Lord declares in Isaiah 54, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. I'm trying to tell you this morning, y'all, no failure, no mistake is beyond repair. Amen. You, you, don't, you don't have to continue living in shame. You don't have to continue living and regret and disappointment because Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus brings renewed strength. And best of all, Jesus gives us the power to live again. Somebody ought to get up and live again. Somebody, you, you've been holding out for too long. You've been carrying that weight for too long. Amen. And I want to simply say Jesus reinstated Peter. And if Jesus can reinstate Peter, he can restore all of us. Amen. It's not in the text, but in John chapter 21, John writes that Jesus reinstated Peter. After Peter professed his love for Jesus, Jesus forgave him and commanded Peter to feed my sheep. Peter had the worst night of his life. But Jesus restored him. Is anybody, anybody glad about restoration? John writes that 
Jesus asked Peter, does, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus simply said, feed my sheep. Amen. Uh, Peter's story is about forgiveness and restoration. I, I fell, but I got up again. And I love Peter's story because he, he goes on to become the rock of the church. Amen. And I came to tell you this morning, Peter was not a lost cause and neither are you. It's not over. It's, it, it's, not a, it's not a bad mark on his resume. It's not a bad mark on your res, resume, but it is It is a glimpse of what is to come. Amen? Amen? I don't care if you're six years old or 60 years old. There's still more life to live. I don't care if you're 70 years old or 70 years old. There's still more life to live. It's not over yet. I don't know who told you just because you failed that you would never be nothing, but God said it's not over. Peter goes on to become a catalyst for the growth of the early church. And we see in Acts chapter 2, he stood and preached a message. And 3,000 souls were saved by the grace of God. Hey, somebody, your failures don't have to define you. I know there are consequences to failure, but your failures don't have to define you. Who told you that? I stand today to simply say that God restores. Amen. God, God doesn't throw us away like society. God won't throw us out like an old hamburger, hamburger rapper. But God is a God of restoration. David declares in Psalm 23, he restored my soul. He leaded me beside in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen. So I'm done. I just came to the class this morning. It's not over. It is not the end. God is still able to use you. Amen. And I know some of you are senior citizens, but God has more for you. In spite of our shortcomings, he still loves us. Amen. God doesn't throw you away like an old grocery bag. Amen. God has plans for you. Jeremiah 29 and 11. I know the plans I have for you to pass, Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. In other words, somebody may have written you off, but God is a redeemer. Amen. Somebody may have written you off, but God still has designs for your life. Amen. I don't know what you were thinking about when you walked in the door, but when you walk back out, know that God still has designs for your life. Amen. Uh, I simply say there is no failure in Jesus Christ. I don't care what the world says. There is no failure in Jesus Christ. In, in, in spite of all the messy stuff we missed, we've been through, we can still enjoy a relationship with God. Amen. In spite of it all, God still redeems and restores. In spite of it all, we are still forgiven and loved. David goes on to say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy. In spite of it all, surely goodness and mercy. I fail, but surely and mercy. I messed up, but surely goodness and 
Pastor Johnny Henderson being brought to you by the Little Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Connect with them by visiting their website, lzmbc.net. Pastor Henderson, Lady Henderson, and the Little Zion family want to thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you will not miss a moment of power.